Hello, my name is Bruce Vanetta. I live in Wisconsin. My accident that I'm going to talk about actually happened in 2006, so it's been quite a few years. I owned a business where I traveled around the state of Wisconsin doing on-site diesel repair. Basically, anywhere where there's diesel engines that need to get worked on, I would get called and brought out to those places and fix those engines. Just to uh, back up a little bit, I had an experience as a child where someone told me about God and told me that God was real. And basically, as a five-year-old being repeatedly sexually by some babysitters, and it was during that time that I heard about this Jesus that they were talking about. I was very skeptic. And bottom line, I didn't believe the story about Jesus. The person who told me a story from the Bible where Jesus is in an area and parents are bringing their children to have him hug them. The disciples get mad and they tell the parents to get the kids out of there. Jesus has more important things to do than hanging around with kids. And Jesus rebukes his disciples, says, let the children come unto me. So somebody told me that story as a five-year-old. They basically said that Jesus loves kids so much that he doesn't let bad things happen. This is at a time where I'm being repeatedly molested. So I didn't believe the story. Fast forward several months, a super bad night is happening. And I simply said, in the middle of my fear and grief, pain, feeling dirty, in the middle of all this, I called out one night and I said, Jesus, if you're real, then prove it. Hug me like you did the kids in the story. So as a five-year-old, I had an experience where I believe Jesus hugged me. I didn't tell anybody that it happened. I kept it completely myself actually for like 20 years. But for me, that was the basis of knowing in the back of my head when I said, Jesus, if you're real, hug me. And I got a hug, even though uh, we didn't attend church regularly, even though you know I was the kid in school, constantly getting in trouble, getting kicked off the school bus, getting kicked out of school, involved with drugs and alcohol at an early age. Even though I was that, troubled child, I still in the back of my head believed and still believe that Jesus was real because of that experience as a five-year-old. So now fast forward, I'm in my mid-30s. I was called to do a diesel repair job on a Peterbilt is the brand logging truck at a logging business facility about an hour south of here where we live. I worked on the truck November 14th, 15th, 16th. The 16th was the day of my accident. We basically finished putting the truck back together that day on the 16th. I was working with the mechanic who worked at that logging company. We got to the end of the job. In order to test the repair, we wanted to start the truck to test the repair to make sure that we'd fixed the leak. So I had him jump up inside the truck. The truck is running maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. I'm putting my tools away. It's not leaking. We had verified that our repair was good. The truck was completely back together except for two things. The passenger side front wheel was removed and the engine mounted air cleaner was still off. So the truck is running. There's there's no leak. I'm putting my last tools away when Leonard walks up, taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, before you go, would you take a look at one more thing? He said, I've got a dirty spot on the front of the engine. He said he, he could wipe it off, clean it down. And within you know weeks or a small amount of time, the dirty spot would come back. So he knew that the engine was had another leak. It was seeping oil somewhere and he wanted me to diagnose that leak. When he asked me if I would do that, I remember looking up at the clock and I saw that it said 6.10 p.m. I'd left my house that morning at 6 a.m. At the point that I'm getting ready to leave at 6.10, I'm already over, even if I left right then, it's already gonna be a 13 hour day. So I didn't wanna do anything else. I just wanted to go home, eat supper, go to bed. I was looking at the clock, mulling it over before I answered him. And that's when he said to me, look, you don't have to fix it. Just diagnose it. Just figure out where it's coming from. I'll schedule back. So I said, okay, I'll diagnose it. If you were to stand in front of a big class eight truck, a class eight truck is as big as semi truck as you're going to see going up and down the highways. That's what this particular logging truck was a big class eight logging truck on these big trucks. If you were to get in the front of the truck, get on your knees and look underneath the front bumper from the front of the truck 
towards the back, what you'd see is the lowest thing to the ground on these trucks is the front axle. So there's a big steel I-beam that goes from the left side to the right side. In between the two wheels, it drops down on each side. So here's the two front wheels and that, that beam, that steel I-beam just goes from one side of the truck to the other side. It carries on this truck five to six tons of weight on the two front wheels. So 10 to 12,000 pounds of weight on the two front tires. Leonard has replaced a steel 20-ton capacity a bottle jack underneath the passenger side of that big steel I-beam. He's jacked it up, removed that passenger side wheel. So the front axle has been jacked up and the wheel's been removed. It's been on the jack at this point for three days. The engine has now been running 15 or 20 minutes. Typically what you would do is you would jack something up with the jack and jacks are lifting devices. You would then let the weight off of the jack onto a jack stand or a block, some type of safety equipment so that it's more secure. Leonard had not done that. He had just jacked it up. All the weight was on the jack. I looked underneath and I saw that it was on a jack. There was no jack stand. There was no safety equipment. I made the choice of decision at that point to go underneath the vehicle anyway. I, it's been on there for three days. It's been running 15, 20 minutes. There's been no problem. So there's a, a tool that mechanics use to go underneath vehicles called a creeper. And the thing with tools, is there's expensive tools and then there's cheap tools. And I say all the time that cheap tools have made very aggravating to work with. They don't do the job right, they often break. So I looked at the creeper that he had just rolled out from underneath and I was thinking about getting on his creeper and going to the truck, but I saw that it was plastic, hollow core, had little small wheels, just a total piece of junk. And I didn't want to get on it. I didn't want it to frustrate me. So I looked in the back of my truck, here's my creeper. It's all strapped down. So it would have taken more time for me to get in my truck, unstrap my creeper. So I just made the choice to get on his little piece of junk creeper. So I get on this plastic hollow cord creeper. I go underneath the front bumper feet first. I roll underneath the truck. And now I'm laying underneath that axle that's got the 10 to 12,000 pounds of weight on it, held up by a jack on my left hand or passenger side of the truck because I'm on my back. Where I stopped, the jack is over here on my left-hand side, and the axle is maybe just an inch or two above my belly button, going across the middle of the soft part of my belly, pretty much from the bottom of my ribs to the top of my pelvic, basically. So from laying underneath the truck, I yell at the Leonard, the other mechanic, I say, hey, Leonard, shut it off. I don't need it running to diagnose this other leak. So he got up inside the truck to shut the engine off. The This particular truck has what's called air suspension. So there's airbags for the suspension in the back of the truck and on the cab. So when he got up inside the truck, the whole truck kind of shifted and rocked, which would be normal because of the airbag suspension. When he did, I saw some other movement in the peripheral vision of my left eye over here. And I turned my head to the left side, to the passenger side of the truck, just in time to see that when Leonard had gotten in the truck and everything had shifted and the axle had shifted, the jack had slipped out and it was actually teetering and rocking underneath the axle, just barely hanging on. It slipped all the way up to the edge. And before I could think or blink or do anything, the jack shot out like a rocket. That big steel I-beam came down and slammed the cement. Basically, the axle fell through the middle of my body like a blunt guillotine. But because the driver's side wheel is still connected, that held up the driver's side, but because the passenger side wheel is off, it allowed the passenger side of the truck to fall to the ground in this garage, fall the cement. And when it did, it, the axle fell through the middle of my body, again, crushing me like a blunt guillotine. On impact, blood shot out of my body, out of my mouth from the inside out. And when it came out of my mouth and I realized in that moment what had happened, I called out to Jesus and I said, Lord, help me. I'm positive the reason why I did that was because, as I said, as a five-year-old, I called out and said, Jesus, if you're real, hug me. And he did. And for me, that had cemented in my mind that he was real, even though I had. When I looked down on the left side of my body, there was about an inch of space between the bottom of the axle and the cement. So I know that my body was approximately an inch thick. 
Plus, I'm on top of a creeper. So the plastic holocore creeper, thank God I was on that. It collapsed to nothing. It was like flat. There was nothing there. And I looked to the right side of my body. And between the bottom, the axle, and the cement was maybe two inches of space. So I was probably double the thickness on the right side. In the middle of my body where my spine is, I don't have a belly button anymore, but straight through from where my belly button used to be to my back is my L4, L5 vertebrae, according to the radiology report, spider cracked and D-shaped. So I was thinner than my spine, if you can picture that. So flat across the middle of my body when this truck fell on me. I can't even tell you how bad the pain was. The pain was off the charts. So Leonard got out of the truck without shutting the engine off. So I'm looking back out from underneath, just from underneath the front bumper, out from underneath the front of the truck. Leonard is looking at me from underneath that gap. So our eyes are locked. I'm looking over my right shoulder at him. And he's, you know, on his knees looking underneath the truck at me. His eyes were great big. And he went into shock when he saw my body was crushed in half. And he just froze. And it seemed like forever. And so I started begging him, mumbling. I was saying, Leonard, please call 911. I remember I kept saying it over and over, please call 911. And he was just frozen with his eyes just staring at me. I could tell there was a look of fear, this look of horror and shock. He felt bad. He felt guilty. He froze up. Finally, he shook out of it. He called the 911. It's in the middle of nowhere, as you can imagine, a volunteer fire department. This is 2006. It's before smartphones. So these guys, you know, maybe flip phones and pagers are going off, whatever. So I hear him on the phone screaming, you know, please send somebody truck is falling on someone crushed a man in half crushed a guy in half he gets off the phone he goes and gets the jack he's gonna try and get the truck off of my body and i i'm begging him to shut the engine off he shut the engine off so again because the axle is now in the cement he couldn't put the jack underneath the closest thing to that is he put it on the curved leaf spring now for those of you who are technical you can understand what i'm saying you, you don't want to jack something up on a curve you want to jack something up with a jack on a piece of you know flat so that it goes up but instead, he jacked it up on this curved leaf spring, and the jack is just going to slip and go up the arch of that spring. So I'm begging him not to jack it up there because I knew the jack was just going to slip. And as I'm begging him not to jack it up, he's telling me it's the only place he's got. That's all he could do. So he's pumping the handle of the jack. The jack is slipping down the, the curve of the arch of the spring, and finally it caught just barely, barely, barely caught. So now it's going up. As he's jacking, it's going up very slowly. Each little pump of the jack, it's making the truck go up. So finally, he gets the truck off of my body. The jack is barely, barely hanging on. Now I'm able to see my whole body top to bottom for the first time. And the very first thing that happened was this incredible weakness. So I'm in immense pain. We found out later the reason why the weakness happened was because I had five places that major arteries were completely severed. And as long as the axle was on top of my body, it had all those arteries and veins pinched off. But as soon as he jacked the truck up off my body, now I'm able to free bleed and all those arteries and veins are just pumping out blood, internally bleeding inside my body. So that's where the weakness came from, we found out later. I see my body crushed flat, the pain is off the charts, the weakness is taking over. I'm going into shock as I'm bleeding out internally. My heart is racing, I'm freaking out. I'm afraid the jack is gonna slip and it's just gonna fall on my body again. So I'm begging Leonard to get me out from underneath the truck. So I'm begging him to grab the top of the creeper and to pull me out from underneath the truck, but he wouldn't do it. So I panicked. I reached back and I was able to grab the bottom of the front bumper just here back behind my head. So even though the creeper is, you know, flat, crushed in the middle with my body, there's wheels on each end, little plastic wheels on each end. When I grabbed the bottom of that bumper, it took everything I had, but I was able to drag my body out again because I'm in shock and I'm freaking out. I, I was able to drag my body out far enough so that now that my head and shoulders are now sticking out from underneath the front bumper and the rest of my body is still underneath the truck, I looked underneath the truck and that's when I saw that the axle 
is now above the lower part of my legs. So if the jack does slip and the truck falls again, it's going to fall my legs and break my legs. So I put my palms on the bumper and I thought if I could do one more push. And it was at that point as I was trying to do that second push that my body began to shake uncontrollably. I wasn't trembling. I was shaking like a leaf, like uncontrollably shaking. And I couldn't even do the second push, which was really scaring me. And it was right then that I realized the realization hit me that I couldn't breathe. I'm too weak and I can't get any air in. And it was right then that like the first two volunteer fire department guys got there and they grabbed my arms. They're trying to help me. I guess apparently, again, we found out later, the reason why they're moving my arms is to try to manipulate my diaphragm to get the diaphragm away from lungs to help me to, to be able to breathe. But it wasn't working. What happened next? I literally heard my heart stop and it sounded like shutting an engine off. At that moment, when I heard my heart stop, my spirit left my body and I went up the roof of the garage. I'm looking down from above and all I can say is I was in perfect, perfect peace. I can't describe how amazing it felt in the ceiling. I was literally having a party in the ceiling in perfect peace and watching from above, listening to everything that's going on below. I could see the accident scene perfectly. I can see all the people from the volunteer fire department standing around. As I'm looking down, the weirdest thing was I didn't even know that I was the person under the truck. I was so disconnected from the accident scene. So I'm observing from above in perfect peace. Leonard, the guy that I was working with is on his knees. He's running his fingers through my hair. He's crying. He's apologizing. I'm listening to what he's saying. He's saying, I should be the one that's dead, not you. I'm such an old fool. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm listening to all that from above. And on each side of Leonard, there was an angel. Leonard is about six foot one, six foot two. And there's an angel on each side of his body and their head stuck up approximately two feet taller than his head. Angels are mentioned 290 sometimes in the Bible I've researched now. And sometimes it mentions that they look like normal people. Sometimes it mentions they look extraordinary, supernatural. These two angels looked like eight foot tall men, very, very muscular, long, long hair that went way down their back to where their belt was on their robes. These angels didn't have wings. Their robes looked to be like glowing, emanating white light. I never got to see their faces because they're bent over. They're touching my body in the middle. So I'm watching from above, not knowing that's me. And I'm just like, oh, look, those angels are down there to help that guy. That's nice. It didn't even seem like a big deal. It seemed very oddly. It seemed very normal to me up in the ceiling, thinking about those angels helping the guy. So I'm just watching it all happen. The volunteer fire department, the first responders didn't do CPR because I have a massive chest injury. And it was right then that the last two people got there. But oddly or interestingly, the last two people to get there came in the back door in the opposite end of the garage. It's a little detail. But when I got to the hospital a year later, I went and spoke at the volunteer fire department. They had their monthly meeting. They had roughly 30 people at the monthly meeting. I told the chief I was going to come to say thank you. And so in a room of approximately 30 people, I went around. I picked out eight people that had come to the scene of the accident. Ten people came. I point out eight of the ten. And then number nine and ten, I pointed out. And I said, you and you, the last two people I pointed out, I said, you came in the back door. And it was easy because it was the only woman. It was a red-haired lady. And it was a gray-haired guy. And again, it's a year later, and I asked in front of everybody, why did you come in the back door? At first, they couldn't even remember. You know, then it jogged their memory. They talked about it. They, they said they missed the driveway. They saw the flashing lights, came up a secondary gravel driveway. They came up to the back of the shop and walked in the back door. It's a little detail, but it proves the real Bruce was in the ceiling. So six to ten minutes under the truck, no harping, no pulse. And I watch from above as... Shannon, that's the name of the red-haired lady, and this older guy. Leonard gets out of the way. She gets down between the angels. She's feeling for a pulse. There was a big guy, as I'm watching from above, in the passenger's front corner of the truck. He had his arms crossed. 
there's a little guy next to him and he says to her who's feeling for pulse shannon it's too late he's passed he's been dead several minutes something along those lines she ignores him she's feeling for pulse she says what's his name Leonard says Bruce Vanetta and this woman starts to slap that guy in the face down there saying Bruce Vanetta come back come back she's getting louder and louder and all the other volunteer fire department people all the other you know first responder and stuff who are all standing around they all stop talking I'm watching from above they all stop and they all looked at her like she was crazy and like what are you doing she's getting emphatic she's getting louder and louder and all of a sudden my spirit was slowly creeping down from where I was in the ceiling. I'm getting closer and closer. And when I was about halfway, it just seemed like it went really fast. And my spirit came back into my body. My heart miraculously starts. No medicine, no CPR, no nothing medical. But when she's calling my spirit back into my body, my spirit comes back in, my heart starts, and I go from feeling the best I've ever, ever felt in my entire life to coming back into my body, feeling the worst that I've ever felt in my entire life. So there's this horrendous, horrendous pain. And there's this realization that I'm the guy underneath the truck. And it all comes back to me really quick. Oh, that's right. The truck following me. And I go, oh, four letter word for fertilizer. Oh, blank. It's hurt so bad. I don't want it. I don't want the pain. It just hurts so bad. I want that piece. And when I basically made up my mind that I didn't want the pain that I wanted to leave my body, go back to that piece, my heart stopped. My spirit left my body. I went back up to the roof of the garage. But this time, a tunnel opened up going out of the roof of the garage up at it like at a 45 degree angle the tunnel was probably you know it seemed like a million miles long but i can tell you there was a bright bright light on the end of the tunnel i instinctively knew that heaven was on the end of the tunnel and i knew that this jesus that i called out to and said lord help me was there waiting for me and so i got in the tunnel and i went towards the light in the tunnel at a very fast so i'm in the tunnel going towards the light at a fast rate of speed feeling g-force excited happy to go to heaven where somewhere behind me i can hear this and i hear bruce and come back come back it felt like maybe halfway in the distance of that tunnel i got sucked backwards i'm still looking towards the light but i got sucked backwards out of the tunnel now i'm back in the roof of the garage i look down i can see the angels i can see the woman i can see my body i can see her slap me in the face and my spirit came back out of the roof of the garage back into my body and my heart started miraculously again now a second time and at that point all the pain came back I looked on my left and I looked on my right for the angels and it was terrifying because I couldn't see them and which was scary. I couldn't understand why they left. Why couldn't I see them? And just craziness that I believe God spoke to me. A very calm, still voice inside my head simply said, if you want to live, you're going to have to fight and it's going to be a hard fight. That's it. There was nothing else. There was no time for questions and answers, no Bible quoting, nothing. And I thought about like 2.2 seconds and I said, screw it. I don't want to live. I don't want to fight. It hurts too bad. My spirit left my body. My heart stopped. The third and final time, I went up the roof of the garage. The tunnel opened up going out of the roof of the garage for the second time. I got in the tunnel, happy to go to heaven. That's where I wanted to go. Excited when I could hear it. Bruce started to come back, come back. I got sucked backwards out of the tunnel that second time. I'm looking from above. My spirit comes back from the ceiling, back into my body. Again, my heart starts miraculously the third time. Shannon's face was right here. I'm still laying on the creeper. Her face was right here on this side of my body. And she says to me, mister, you're on the verge of life and death. And I'm thinking, lady, I have no idea what you're even saying. And then she says, what do you have to fight for? Do you have a wife? Do you have kids? I couldn't fight for me because it hurt too bad and I just wanted to leave. But I could fight for my wife and I could fight for my four little kids. I thought about it. Didn't want to fight for myself. It hurt too bad. But I could fight for my wife and for my children. And so they ended up med flighting me to our state's largest trauma center. It took over 
two and a half hours from the point the accident happened until I got to the trauma center. Doctors say, have told me that if you have one major artery completely severed, you've got eight to 10 minutes before you bleed out. I had five places major arteries are completely severed and now it's stretched out over two and a half hours. That proves that the angels are there doing whatever they're doing with the, the veins to keep me going. I called out and said, God help me. And you know, Jesus specifically, he sends the angels to do whatever they were doing to keep me going, to get me to the hospital. He sends a lady who I found out later, Shannon. She had been believing in Jesus for two months. Bottom line is a two-month-old baby Christian, because she had been believing in Jesus for two months, came to the scene of the accident and prayed me back to life three times. When she showed up at the scene of the accident and she was slapping me in the face, she was praying, asking God to bring me back to life. She had just read in the Bible where Jesus said, speak to the mountain with the faith of mustard seed. And she had read where Jesus said, those who believe in me will do the same, same things I've been doing. And so she prayed for Jesus to bring my spirit back to my body. And she was slapping and she said she was commanding my spirit to come back to my body. So three times this lady prayed me back to life and I just travel around the United States and other countries as well sometimes, share this testimony and just tell people, look, I believe God is alive and well. I believe Jesus is God. And so again, I'm just gonna spend the rest of my life telling people that I believe God is alive and well. I, I believe he loves us even though we don't deserve it. And I believe that if God had sent angels for me, and if he'd do it for me, then he would do it for anybody. And that we can't earn or deserve his forgiveness. It's simply a free gift that he gives to us, that he offers to us for those that accept it. So I'm going to spend the rest of my life telling people that's that testimony. And that's what I experienced. So I just want to encourage anybody watching, doesn't matter what's going on in your life, call it to God, call it to Jesus and tell him what's going on. He knows, just tell him you need his help and I believe he'll help you. So that's my testimony.